so we're in Philippians, and we started in chapter 1, verse 1. We finished chapter 1. Tonight we're in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. Sometimes we'll take a little longer section. This is such a good section. I need to just go shorter. Philippians 2, 12 through 13. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, that's, a, you know, Paul's a, a good leader. He uh, motivates by casting this vision. I don't know as they always obeyed, but he's going to say that anyway. Uh, you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. So he's in prison as he writes this, and so uh, he's not there. Work out your salvation. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So Saturday morning uh, at 10.15, I'm doing a theology and doctrine class here, uh, did I say Saturday, Sunday morning, uh, between the two services. And this last Sunday, the title was Grace and Works. It's an area that a lot of uh, fuzziness is in, in the sense of, of how does that fit together, grace and works? Well, it fits together quite nicely if you understand how it works. And so Paul's going to deal with that same topic here. And you notice, number one, we're, we're, we're not saved by being good. We're not saved by being good. We can't earn our salvation. So that's a basic, uh, what you might call a huge, major uh, theological point. The question is, how do we get to heaven? Ask the average person on the street, and they will say something that falls along the line with uh, being good. Uh, you know, you don't know if you're good enough, you make it. Nobody makes it by being good enough because the standard, if you're going to earn your salvation, is perfection. And nobody has been perfect or will be perfect except for Jesus. And so he came and solved our problem by dying for us, and our sin were put on Jesus while he hung on the cross. There was a legal transfer that took place with God being the judge, as it were, where all of my sins were put on Jesus, and then the Father punished Jesus for my sins. So I'm saved by uh, recognizing that I can't earn my own salvation. It begins with that admission, and then I believe that Jesus uh, is indeed God, that what he did was for me, and then I commit my life to him. And so I'm adopted into the family of God. I'm born again. My sins are forgiven. I'm called the Son of God, and I will live forever and ever and ever. And uh, so almost everybody that comes to church here knows that. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Uh, basic uh, uh, theology in regards to salvation. Titus 3, 5 says the same thing. He saved us. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, not because of any good things we've done, but according to his mercy, by the washing of, re of regeneration, renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And so no works required. It's a free gift given to us by God. So I'm going to give you a phrase, simple little phrase, but it's super important for what we're going to talk about tonight. I am not saved by works. 
but I am saved for works. So I'll say that again in case it got by you. I am not saved by works, but I am saved for works. So we'll look at that. Uh, number two in your notes, God's salvation is a free gift to us, neither earned nor deserved, but he expects that we will live our life being diligent to do good works. He expects that we will live our life now as born-again believers in the family of God with the Holy Spirit living in us to give us the power uh, that we would live our life being diligent, working hard to do good works. So I read to you Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and a lot of people will quote that, but they then ignore verse 10. I'll read that to you. We'll start at verse 8 again. For by grace you've been saved. You've been saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves, that is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we, this is verse 10, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're created by him for good works. This is verse 10 after 8 and 9 which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. God prepared beforehand, uh, that is even before our birth, that we would walk in them, that we would live in them, that we would do them. So I read to you t Titus uh, uh, 3, 5, and, and 6. It said the same thing as Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. So well, that also has another verse on the end. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done, in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration, renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. All right, that's the one I read to you early, and it goes on and says now in verse 8, this is a trustworthy statement, and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently. So Paul's writing to Titus, who was a pastor just beginning I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. So both the key passages that talk about saving, being saved by grace as a gift from God, no works required, has the next verse after that statement, we are saved for good works, for the purpose of good works, and that uh, uh, Paul tells Titus to make sure you preach confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful careful to engage in good deeds. Um, that's God's will for us. And so there are a number of verses that would suggest even that if good deeds don't follow your conversion, you probably didn't get saved. Because when we become a Christian, the Spirit of God works in us, lives in us, gives us power, also convicts us, and God puts in us. And we'll look at that in a minute. Uh, he puts in us the desire to do good deeds for people and to glorify him by our life. And so, why? If I, if I don't need to be good to get to heaven, why be good? Uh, number three, the purpose. The purpose for pursuing good works and an exemplary lifestyle is, to earn our, is not to earn our salvation, but to glorify God, to glorify God and to be a major me, the, uh, means that others are attracted to the gospel. So God is my creator. He is my savior. Jesus died for me. He paid a price I can't comprehend in saving me. And then God's will is that I would live the kind of life that would glorify him if I'm going to say I am a follower of Jesus. 
If I'm going to say I'm in the family of God, then I uh, glorify him, or as the writer of the Hebrew says, I put him to open shame by the way I live my life. And so we become an advertisement for God, uh, an illustration for God, and people are attracted to faith in Christ by the way we live our lives. And so uh, we become a good advertisement or a bad advertisement. Matthew 5, 16, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works, your good works, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so we talk about why be good if you don't need to be in order to get to heaven. Well, there's a whole lot more than simply getting to heaven. It's having a relationship with God. It's pleasing God. It's being used by God. It's making a difference in the lives of other people. It's attracting people to faith in Christ. All of that has to do with the way we live our life. And so the command, let your light shine before men, that is you're aware of the fact that people see how you act, how you talk, how you behave, that they will see your good works, and as a result of that, they will glorify God. Philippians 1.27, only conduct yourselves in a manner, conduct yourselves, that means to live your life in such a way that you are worthy of the gospel, worthy of the gospel, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Ephesians 4.1, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you, implore you, beg you, beseech you to walk, to walk. That means to live your life in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Live your life worthy. 1 Thessalonians 2.12, so that you would walk in a manner worthy, worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So that's a great question to ask. Are you living your life worthy of God? Uh, you're a son of God, a daughter of God, a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. Are you worthy of that title by the way you live your life? That's the admonition repeated in Scripture. Live your life worthy of the gospel, worthy of God, worthy of a follower of Jesus. It um, doesn't mean we're going to be perfect, but it does mean that we're diligently pursuing righteousness in a lifestyle uh, that, is, that God is pleased with. Number four, when we live righteously, growing, mature, into the character of Jesus and serve others. We give God great pleasure. We give God great pleasure. So I enjoy very much uh, having my grandchildren perform for me. And a variety of uh, performances. It might be singing, playing the piano, uh, simply showing me something they did that they wrote. Uh, Courage is into doing uh, exercise now, and so he does push-ups and various things. And uh, so the other day he wanted to show me how strong he was getting, and, uh, and he did, I forget, a bunch of push-ups. He said, Grandpa, can you do as many as I can? I says, well, let's see. And I did one. <laughs> I says, no, I don't think I can. And uh, so, but uh, having him perform, show off, I enjoy that very much. And just simply seeing them grow up and get wise and get smart and have character and do well in various areas of life as they get older, I, as a grandfather, take a lot of pride in that. And as their parents, their kids, as they grew up and they played basketball and as they got grades, as they acted, uh, behaved a certain way with other kids, uh, 
I was always, I felt pleasure as the dad now, as the grandfather, and how they act and how they perform, how they behave. The same thing is true of our Creator. God the Father uh, is pleased with us or not pleased with us. And Paul said, I have as my main ambition in life to do everything to please God. Philippians uh, 2, 12 and 13, once again, So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you. It is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. His good pleasure. We bring pleasure to God, the Creator, the Almighty, by the way we live our life. And when we are good... We'll behave well when we act and live our life in a manner worthy of the gospel, then he receives a great deal of pleasure from us. So one of the basic principles is that uh, when God feels pleasure in us, we feel his pleasure. Uh, Matthew 25, 21, Jesus says, Enter into the joy of your master. Enter into the joy of your master. We sense in our spirit and in our heart God's pleasure in us. And uh, sometimes we'll have this good feeling. We don't even know why it's there. But when God sees what we do, hears what we say, knows what we think, and sees us living our life in obedience to him, following him, serving him, doing his will and his work, he is very pleased with what we're doing, and we sense that pleasure. We enter into that joy. And we experience it. Joy comes from God and he gives it to those who give him joy. And the basic principle God says is you honor me, I'll honor you. You give me joy, I'll give you joy. You give me pleasure, I give you pleasure. And so he experiences pleasure by the way we live our life and how we act and how we talk. Matthew three sixteen. Jesus here uh, as, as a man in the flesh was baptized. After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. Behold, a voice out of the heavens said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So the Father communicated audibly his pleasure in his Son, and he will communicate to us his pleasure. Uh, not many will hear an audible voice like Jesus did, but we will sense that in our spirit and our heart, his pleasure in us and the way we live our life. 2 Corinthians 5, 9, Therefore we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Our ambition is to please him in everything that we do. Number five, everything we do in this life for God as an act, as an act of obedience, he will reward us for, for at the judgment seat of Christ. He will reward us at the judgment seat of Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is an event that you will experience. Uh, all of us will stand before Christ and give an account of our life. Uh, Romans 14 says we will be held accountable for what we have done with our life, with our time, with our resources. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10 says each one of us will stand before Christ and be recompensed, rewarded for the deeds we've done in the body, whether good or bad. 1 Corinthians 3 says all of the things that we've done with our life will be tested by fire on the day we stand before Christ. And if our works are burnt up, we will not receive a reward for that. And it goes on and says some people, everything they've done with their life will be burnt up. They will be saved, but yet so is through fire. That is, they will take nothing into heaven with them in the form of a reward. 
And uh, Jesus, you, you don't even give a glass of water to a little child that you'll not be rewarded for. So God uh, knows and sees every little detail and everything is rewarded. Philippians 2, thir- uh, 12 and 13 again. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation. Basically, that means work, do good deeds because of your salvation, with fear and trembling. With fear and trembling. Fear and trembling would be the, uh, as a result of God judging the judgment seat of Christ. And we would be aware of that. It is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 2 Corinthians 5, 8, we are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body. <laughs> I, that's, I like that verse. Prefer to be absent from the body. That is, I'd like to get out of this achy old thing I'm in and get my new body. Absent from the body, be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We must all, every one of us, appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed, rewarded for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, the fear of the Lord. So regularly people will ask me, Pastor, I read in the Bible about fearing God, fearing God at the beginning of wisdom. And What does it mean to fear God? To fear God means that you know that you will stand before him face to face and give an account of your life. You will stand before him face to face and you will give an account of your entire life and how uh, faithful you've been with what he has given you, your stewardship. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest to God and I hope that we are made manifest also in your conscience. Number six, God works in us by putting in us the desire to be righteous, to bear fruit, to make a difference. So we talk on Saturday morning, excuse me, Sunday morning. I don't know why I got Saturday in my head. Sunday morning, grace, the traditional definition has been, been unmerited favor, which is not a very good definition. A better definition is God's power, uh, his enabling power to do his will. And so grace is kind of broad, but it's, uh, it's used often as a way of priming the pump. That is doing just a little bit in us so that we then respond. And if we do, then he does even more. Uh, And so one of the things that he does living the Christian life, if we uh, experience grace, this passage says, let me uh, read it to you again, Philippians 2.12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, It is a God who is at work in you both, two things, to will and to work for his good pleasure. To will, that means he puts in me the desire uh, to do his will. He puts in me the desire to do something that means something, that makes a difference. He puts in me the desire to please him. He puts in me the desire to serve and to love people. He puts that inner desire in me. So with that desire... I also have some other desires. I have the desire of my flesh. And Paul says the desire of our flesh is evil continually, selfish continually. There's the desire of the world and there's the desire that the devil will put in us. 
So you have this competing thing going on in you, that which God puts in you, the desire that he gives us, the will to work, the will to do good, the will to please him, to serve others. And then we have our selfish flesh and the temptation of the devil and the world. And so we have just enough so we can indeed be successful. And so Paul says, don't receive the grace of God in vain. That is, you would receive from God the desire, the motivation to do something that matters and that I can effectively ignore that desire. I can ignore uh, that and choose to do the will of my flesh, the will of the devil or the world instead of the will that God puts in me. And so if we just pay attention to what's going on inside our own heart, we can figure out the difference between that which is from God and that which isn't. And so he works in us both to will and to work for his good pleasure, for his good pleasure. He puts in me the desire, the want to. Number seven, the closer we grow to God, the more intense and clearer the desire will be. So you don't receive the grace of God in vain. That means you move, you act in accordance with that grace, and then as a result of that obedience, that movement towards him, he amplifies it. It gets stronger. I think I've told you this story before, but back when I was struggling with whether I was going to pastor or farm and got counsel from a missionary, he said, get close to God and do what you want. And when he said it, it just didn't seem right. I couldn't, I said, I don't, I don't want to do what I want. I want to do what God wants. He said, if you're close to God, what you want and what God wants will be the same because he puts his will in you. And as you seek him and draw close to him, that will intensifies and becomes clearer and sharper. And pretty soon it'll become your desire. That's how strong it will be in you. Psalms 37, one of my key verses is, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desire of your heart. Um, Psalms 27, 7 through 11, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, be gracious to me, answer me. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, O Lord, I shall seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. My father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord. Teach me your way. And lead me in the level path because of my foes. So that's exactly what God does. He puts in us this grace, which is the will and the power. And when we respond to that little bit that's there, then we get more. And we respond to that and we get more. And pretty soon... Uh, his desire in me is very intense and it becomes quite clear on what I'm supposed to do. Number eight, when we write our personal goals, we should be attempting to tap into that desire that is in us from God. So when I get done with my goals, I want to be able to confidently say, this is uh, what I believe is God's will for my life. And he put it in me. And so God will put what we might call super holy desire in us. We tend to think that's all that comes from God, but he also will put in me the desire uh, to love my wife uh, and to love my kids and to love you. And he will put in me the desire uh, that, that has to do with every area of life. He will guide me in every detail of my life and put in me this desire as I, as I begin looking inside. The best way to do that is to write. 
There's something about writing that just clarifies your thinking and your feelings, your emotions, and helps you to identify which ones are there from God. And so whenever I write my goals, I'm not attempting to write down what I want to do. I'm trying to figure out what God wants me to do. Those desires that he has put in me, and I put them on paper as I pursue them, then I'm going to either get uh, a stronger sense that it's his will, or it won't get stronger. So I often will drop goals or change goals as I pursue them, recognizing ah, there's not much happening with this. If it's the will of God, it'll get more intense. Number nine, God puts the desire in us to serve him, and when we respond in obedience, it gives us his strength to accomplish his will. So it is God who is at work in me, both the will and to work, both the will and to work. And so he gives me the desire, and I take a step of obedience, and he grants me the strength to accomplish it. And what do we call that? Grace, enabling power. So grace is not doing what I want. Grace is doing what, it's not the freedom to do what I want. It's the power to do what God wants. So he puts in me the desire, the prompting, the will, and then when I move in his direction, he gives me the power, the strength to do what he has prompted me to do. And every time I move closer, that all intensifies. It all intensifies both the will and the work, the power that he gives me to serve him and to serve him well. Number 10, God gives us the free gift of salvation. He puts in us his desire for us. He puts in us his desire or his will for us. When we follow his desire, he gives us his strength to successfully do it. So you can take with your pen and circle that and then somewhere around there write the word grace. He saves us as a free gift. He puts his desire in us, and he gives us the strength to, uh, to do it, to successfully do it. Uh, that is a, a great gift from God. Now, we can receive that grace in vain. God will put it in us to motivate us, to stir us, and we can choose not to do it. Or we can uh, choose to do it and see it amplified in our life. The world around us, our own flesh, and the devil can mess it all up. kind of an interesting little discussion if we were having coffee together and I'd say, what do you think? Is your biggest problem in not following the will of God in your heart, your flesh, the devil, or the world? Which one is creating the biggest problem for you? They're all an issue, but some seem to have more of an issue with one than the other. Uh, your response might be, they're all huge. In order to stay spiritually healthy and in union with God, we need to faithfully practice the basic disciplines of the Christian life. <clears throat> so, God puts in me, before I'm a believer, Romans chapter 1, verse 18, an awareness of himself, of God. Uh, we all have that um, awareness that, that there is a God, his creation. We see his invisible attributes, his eternal powers, divine nature by what he created. And so God gives us enough. And if we respond to that, 
in a positive direction towards him, then he puts a little bit more. And he puts a little bit more. We come to the point where we actually are able to trust him, believe in the gospel, and we're officially adopted into the family of God. Our name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Our sins are totally forgiven. Now we're in the family. Now as we live our life, he puts in us uh, the will and the power, not a lot, but enough. And so when we respond to that prompting, to that will, and then he grants us the strength, and as we seek him, that will intensifies, the power increases, and we begin to bear more and more fruit, and we begin to do more and more good works for God. And so the admonition to do good, to glorify God, is not an admonition to... Uh, do something that we're not capable of, but it is an admonition to choose, to choose. And when we choose, then God blesses and works. And so we respond to the little and we get more. And we respond to that and we get more. And we're moving continually towards Christ-like character, greater and greater levels of accomplishment and fruit-bearing, and we glorify God with our life and we influence many, many people to trust him as his, as his Savior. And so it's a journey that we take, always prompted, always uh, led by God. And so I'm saved by grace, and Paul said, I labored more than all of them, yet not I but the grace of God in me. And so we are saved by grace, that is, God puts in us what we need to take the next step when we become believers, that we live our life by grace, and that he gives us the will, the desire, the promptings, the convictions, and he gives us the power, the strength, and the resources. And so it's a journey, but it's always our response to what we have been given that prompts him to give us more. Uh, he responds to what we presently have, and so we can choose at any given time to receive the grace of God in vain and to do nothing, to plateau, uh, to get sucked into the world, or we can continually seek him, uh, draw near to him, serve him every single day with the greater level of grace that he's given us. So when I write in the evenings, my journal, say, Lord, help me to know what your will is that you have put in me. Because I know that if I move towards that, you'll grant me the strength to do it. And so I'm always wanting to know what it is, and I work at finding what it is. Read the Bible every day. Spend time with God in prayer every day. Uh, give sacrificially of your money. The best uh, discipline there is for inoculating yourself against uh, worldliness. Examine your life for sin, little sins, big sins. Confess them to him every single day. Uh, worship him, worship him well all day long. Grumble and complain about nothing. Those are all disciplines, but as you pursue those basic disciplines, your ability to sense his pleasure, your ability to know his will intensifies. So take care of the basic disciplines. Every day read, every day pray. Worship God faithfully, regularly. Pray corporately with your church family. Worship privately and corporately together with your church family. Um, just take care of those basic disciplines. You're training yourself to be... Uh, a child of God who 
senses his presence, his pleasure, and knows his will. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, thank you for giving us grace. Thank you for uh, putting in us your will. We have to work at it a bit to discover it and to discern what it is, but Lord, it's very doable. You always want us to obey, but you put in us, uh, on us a responsibility to seek you, to seek your will, to seek your strength. Lord, you put on us a responsibility that we can uh, follow and intensify by reading your word every day, by spending time in prayer every day. All of that, Lord, is because we want so much to please you with our life and to glorify you by the way we live, by the way we talk, the things that we do. I pray that each one of us will bear much fruit for your glory and your honor as we live our life. Lord, we don't have to be good, but we want to. It's not required, but um, you have loved us with a love we can't comprehend, and so we truly are motivated to please you because of your love for us and our love for you. I pray that you would help us to intensify that desire, uh, that will that's in us, uh, to grow uh, passionate about living successfully for you and bearing much fruit to glorify you. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.